So this past week, I started something new. I had been in a class at the mission, and the leadership would get together, and we'd been going through this book about evangelism, which is, simply put, telling people about Jesus. And really was considering the aspect of, what, are we, what am I doing to reach out? Now, I know I'm a pastor of a church, and that's you know, a pretty obvious example of that. But there are, just because that's what God has called me to do doesn't mean that that's the end of it. And so I began to listen, like, Lord, what, what should I really do to continue to kind of spread your message further? And, and what I felt led to do for, for several reasons was actually to begin a podcast. Think, what, 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 what what's something I can offer? I can, I can speak more. I can teach more. And maybe I can use something like this to kind of address some different topics that I don't always necessarily address in church. Specifically, my target would be going after those that, that just have been burnt, been hurt by church, those that don't know Jesus. And what is it that would capture their attention to, to reconsider? You know what? Maybe, maybe I should go to church. Maybe I should listen to this. Maybe I should really you know, consider who Jesus is and what he's all about. And so some of the topics that I would broach would probably be controversial, but I didn't really think that this one was all that controversial. And so in this podcast that I recently did, this podcast was about what you wear to church and that God doesn't care about what you wear to church. What he cares about is your heart. What he cares about is the inside. And it was very well documented through Scripture, through the podcast, and though it was, I, when I put that up, I ended up getting comments on the podcast from a couple of ladies. And these ladies in particular had very strong opinions of the opposite. One of the things that I addressed in the podcast was this aspect that you, when you come to church, should bring and present to God your very best. And so you should dress up and present to God your very best. But what I would say is that God's concerned about not your clothing that you would present to him, but your heart, what's on the inside and, what, and not what's on the outside. And I said, in our church, for example, you can come in and you can find people that are wearing T-shirts and shorts and flip-flops, and that doesn't matter. What matters is the heart. But that set off a firestorm in a couple of ladies. It was a brand-new podcast, so that's my only audience right now, you know? But these ladies had some strong opinions, and so I put it up there, and then the, the first comment by this lady is, false teaching. God, <laughs> false teaching, God does care about um, you dressing in, dressing in modesty. And so I assume that she was referring to this one particular passage, and I think it's in 1 Timothy. I said, actually, if you read the rest of the verse and look at it in context, he says that women shouldn't dress this particular way, but what they should be exposing is their heart. What they should be showing is their heart. True beauty is what's on the inside, not on the outside. Don't be fo focusing on your makeup and your jewelry and braiding your hair and all that stuff, but on, on your heart. And so anyway, this conversation went, went back and forth, and I continued to show Scripture after Scripture, and I would ask the question, where do you see this in the Bible? And they just got irritated at me and said, well, just use common sense. And then she came back later on, another lady said, so you would just allow people to come into church wearing, wearing mini skirts and, you know, and all this just ridiculous stuff. And I just continued to point back to Scripture. I said, it's not about what I think. It's about what he thinks. And I said, I've never, ever turned anyone down coming into church because of what they wear. 
and I never, ever will. Do I believe that the Bible teaches modesty in some of these areas? Of course. But the issue is not what you wear, it's your heart. And you're missing the whole point. What I learned, and I hadn't been around people like that in some time, is that Pharisees are still alive and well. Pharisees, if you think about what they were about, what they stood for, we're going to look at that the first part of this sermon this morning. Think about some of their work, if you will, some of their claims to fame. They didn't want Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Sabbath was supposed to be a holy day. You're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath was their issue. And they had a problem with Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Crazy, and we'll talk more about that later. They didn't think it was right to eat and to spend time with sinners. So they brought that out. You know, does Jesus realize who he's eating with? Does he know that person? Does he have any idea what that person's really like? And he's eating with her. He's eating with him. Did you see that? The other Pharisees. They were preoccupied with their pedigree. They showed up once when John the Baptist was was baptizing people, and, and John's like, what are you guys doing here, you vipers, he says. He's really harsh on them. You snakes, don't think that you're going to be able to uh, keep up with repentance. I know about your true deeds, what's really on the inside of your heart. And he says, look, don't think that just because you are children of Abraham, which means don't think that just because you're of the lineage of going back in the Old Testament of Abraham, that you're going to be safe from this. He says, basically, I tell you from the ground, from these roots, God can raise up more, des- more descendants from Abraham. And so they were concerned about that. You know, we belong to this pedigree. Because of that, you know, we're okay. I was raised in the Christian church. I came up as a believer. You know, oh, it's coming out, okay? And so they thought that they were okay. And they made a huge show when they gave money. Wanted everyone to see, you know, hey, everybody, look. Did you see what I gave to the church? Did you see the amount of money that I brought to the temple just then? They also like to draw attention to themselves when they are praying. They would purposely get out in the street corners, it says, and they would make a big show of, of, of prayer. Want everyone to see how righteous that they were. They would draw attention to themselves publicly so that all could see. And whenever they would fast, they would purposely mess up their hair and their face, it says in Scripture, so the people will notice Gosh, that guy is so holy. Look at him. You can tell he's fasting. He looks miserable. That guy hasn't had a bite to eat in who knows how long. They loved to get the attention of everything else, of, of everybody else. And what it boiled down to with these people as well is that their traditions were more important than the Word of God. What they had always done, what they had been raised with, was more important, even if it counteracted what the Bible had to say. You might have been in some of those churches before, and as a youth pastor, I got in trouble all the time because I kind of bumped into those unwritten rules. Well, you're not supposed to do such and such. You can, do not, do not think that skateboarders are going to be okay at your church. Do not think, whatever it is, just fill in the blank. There are some serious issues, and Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees because he said this very thing to him. He said, you know what, you guys, you ignore but the Bible has to say for your traditions. You say, any money that I would have given to my parents, I have dedicated it to God. And they really used it as an opportunity to get around 
taking care of their parents and holding on to more of their money. So they said that if God ever needed it, the money would be there to be used. And they skirted what the law actually said, what God actually said, to fulfill their own traditions. And Jesus was not happy with them for that. And he says this, he says, you hypocrites, and this is not on the screen, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They talk a really good game. He says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Human rules. Human rules, following human rules, does not get you very far with God. God could care less whether you follow human rules. He wants you to follow what he has to say. Now, I want you to think about this. We have the Ten Commandments, and then if you were to be very precise in the Old Testament, the law, the first five books of the Bible are called the Law, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, because God used him to write them, okay? In those five books, if you were to break down every little tiny item, there are 613 commandments that are boiled down. But these are all the little, little kind of stuff, don't eat this, don't eat that, all these things. If you were to make a list of them, are 613, okay? The spirit of the law, when we hear what Jesus has to say, is, is much smaller than that. But if you were to be nitpicky, that's what, what's in the Old Testament. Now, let me tell you what the Pharisees and the religious leaders did. They took those things, and because they said that they did not want to get close to breaking any of those things, they made these laws called fence laws. As part of this ongoing written thing, and they would keep adding to this as time went on in this document called the Midrash. And they would keep writing these things. It was kind of like this Jewish commentary that went on, and they'd add on this. Well, you know what? If you're not going to sit here, you should probably do this. You should probably do this. And so over time, they added law after law after law that people needed to follow, they said. You know, for example, don't come into church wearing that because someone might stumble. So maybe everybody should just wear this. Maybe we should all wear suits just to be safe, you know. Maybe we should cover everything from head to toe just to be safe. You know what? Maybe we should have individual rooms that we're in so we don't see each other. And it just kind of went down the line. Let me give an example of what I mean by that. I'm being silly here. but So, for example, they took this one commandment in the law, keep the Sabbath holy, which means that the Jews were not supposed to work on Saturdays, okay? And what they did by that was the Jewish scholars created 39 separate categories of what work means. This is what work really is. This is what God's talking about. 39 categories, okay? And then within those 39 categories, there were many subcategories of what work meant. And so to follow the rule of not working on the Sabbath, there were literally thousands of sub-rules that you had to follow, according to the Pharisees. And they broke these down. These are some of the categories. These are some of the 39 categories, okay? Sowing, Plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting things, grinding, sifting. They broke down every aspect of what could possibly look like work, and they put it into a category. Now, the way this boils down when you begin to see all this is that the rabbis decreed that one should not only avoid these forbidden acts, but must not do anything that even resembles a prohibited act. You falling asleep yet? Okay. So, so this is what it boils down to. So if a habit is linked to that somehow, 
then we, we can't do it. So what they did was they made these measures, they made these fence laws, and it says, for example, this, ripping a piece of paper was forbidden since it resembles cutting to shape or could be confused with something looking like a shape. That's some kind of work. Similarly, agreeing to buying something. If you agreed to buy something, that was prohibited because most agreements are confirmed in writing. And of course, writing, anything more, it says, than writing two letters was considered work. Climbing a tree, don't do it today. It was forbidden, okay? Because it may lead to breaking twigs or tearing leaves, which could be construed as reaping, which is work, okay? Or separating part of a growing plant from its source, that's, that's, that's reaping. Other activities, for example, adding fresh water to a vase of cut flowers, that could, that could be considered sowing. That's straight out. Okay, making a bouquet of flowers could be considered a binding a sheaf. That's out. Separating good fruit from spoiled fruit, fruit, that could be considered as winnowing, separating things out. This is all work, so you can't do this, you can't do that. You couldn't tie a knot, you could not untie a knot, you could not start a fire, you could not put a fire out. It was just paralyzed. What do you do on the Sabbath? These were the things they came up with ridiculous. Jesus sums up the Pharisees in Matthew 23. I would encourage you this week to read the chapter uh, 23 in Matthew and check it out. This is where this is coming from. Jesus sums up the Pharisees in the chapter in verse 23, verse 4, and he says this. He says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They made up all these things. They want to look righteous. They want to look holy. But they didn't even follow their own thousands and thousands of rules that they themselves made up. Now, I want to correct a verse in your mind that you've probably always had misinterpreted. This is the verse. It comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, forget all the mentality of oxen and carrying and all that stuff you've heard before. What the meaning of a yoke is, is it was a set of teachings that a, that a, a religious rabbi had. And when someone was a follower of one of the rabbis called the Talmudim, they would follow a certain rabbi and they would say, what is your yoke? For example, there were different beliefs about divorce, for example. What, do you, what, do you, what does this rabbi believe? Well, his yoke says such and such, and I follow this rabbi. This other rabbi had a certain teachings that he focused on, a different take on the law that said this, and this Talmudim would follow this rabbi. And so what we have here is Jesus saying, you know what? These Pharisees have laid a huge, heavy burden on you that you cannot carry. Let me tell you about my yoke. Come to me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Do you feel like it's impossible to serve God? Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, completely different than anything they'd ever seen before. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Let me tell you why Jesus was not okay with the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, you see all this. Pharisees, well, first of all, they're all about themselves. In Matthew 23, 5 through 7, everything they do is done for people to see. We mentioned this earlier. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. The phylacteries were scripture that they had memorized, and they wore it on their head. The point was, in the Old Testament, to be reminded of scripture. Oh, yes, Lord, I need to be humble. But they used it as an example to say, look how much I've memorized. Everybody see? You know? That's what they used it for. It says they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called a rabbi by others. It's these guys that just love to hear the word, hey, pastor, I'm not that guy. None of us should have that kind of pride. That's where they were. So Jesus was not okay with that aspect. People that listened to the Pharisees were worse off because of them. They were worse off. Think about it. If you listen to the ladies that commented on my podcast, if, if it becomes everything all of a sudden starts to become about what you wear, then you begin missing the rest of what God really thinks and what God has to say and reaching the world and all these other things if you're concerned about what you put on when you walk out the door being number one. They were they would make people worse off. Matthew 23, 15, Jesus says this. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Man, that's pretty intense. They loved rules, okay? We can see that from the thousands and thousands of rules. And they majored on the minors. And Jesus says to them in verse 23, the next passage, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. This is all little stuff. You ever cooked before and got mint and cumin and all these things? These are little tiny things. Congratulations, right? You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Like this, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. I love this. It's such a great part of Scripture. It says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Diane and I have this problem all the time when we drink a glass of wine. We're sitting there, and outside right now it's really bad, right? And this bug just, just bloop, right? you're like, ah, oh. you know? As so you're spending this time trying to get this thing out, that's what they're doing. They're worried about one little thing, and then they turned around and just drank, if you possibly could, a big old camel, choking on it. It's impossible. They've completely missed the point. And they only cared about appearance. They only cared about dealing with the outside. In Matthew 23, 25, he says about them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You're just washing around the outside. Let's have some wine, honey. Is it, are they clean? Sure, I wash the outside. Come on over. We're having dinner tonight. Who wants some wine? Plates, we clean the, the underside of them. It's ridiculous. First, clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. This is what else you're like. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. During the time of Passover, they would come and they would specifically spray down 
the outsides of tombs white so that people knew when they came not to go near it and not to touch it because if you did, you would be considered unclean and you couldn't participate in the Passover. And so Jesus is pointing these things. They look beautiful on the outside, this beautiful, crisp, brand-new white. But you know what? On the inside, you see what's really there, dead things. They cared about the outside and not the inside. And Jesus is not okay with that. So what's the point? Why does all this matter? Because Jesus begins his woes to the Pharisees by saying this to them. And this is the point for you today because I don't believe that you'd be here if you were a Pharisee. Okay? So in a world, a spiritual world, a religious world, oftentimes that we bump into Pharisees with people that have been affected that aren't believers by Pharisees, what is it? That's our job. What is our responsibility? This is the point this morning. Look at this verse in verse 13. Jesus says this at the beginning of all these woes. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, and nor will you let those enter who are trying to. There are people that are seeking after God. There are people that are getting basically shut out, the door slammed in their face because of these people stranding out gnats and choking on camels. Their very lifestyle, the things that they do, their obsession with the outward appearance, all these kind of things are keeping people away from the kingdom of God. Part of one of the biggest reasons that real life exists, why real life has its name, is that there's this desire, there's this hope that people will see Jesus lived out in that way and in purity and freedom and hope and love and in joy. So these Pharisees were, were just, just shutting the door in their faces. And people like this were and still are keeping people from entering the kingdom of heaven. They may not always realize it, but they are shutting the door to the kingdom in many faces of people that are seeking him. And Jesus did not allow this to continue. He saw this happening when he was in his ministry, and he did something about it. He was always kicking the door back open when the Pharisees were trying to shut it. Jesus ate and drank, it says, with sinners. He ate and drank with sinners so much that they accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunk. Now, just to point out something interesting about that, all of those that are, that are that, <laughs> it's going to be a controversial podcast this week, why would Jesus say, that, <laughs> why, would, why would they accuse Jesus of being a drunk if it was just grape juice that Jesus drank? Why do they do that? I wonder. Why do they accuse him of being a glutton and a drunk? Jesus was eating and he was drinking alcohol, folks. Drunkenness, the Bible teaches against that, but it was alcohol. But the point of this, he ate and he drank with sinners. He was out there. He was with people that had need. Jesus also says at one point, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I don't have to wear around a cast like poor Jackson if you guys have seen him this morning, nothing slowed him down. He needed a doctor, okay? And so <laughs> Jesus says, those are the people that I'm focused on. And so Jesus, he focused on grace and truth, while the Pharisees focused on condemnation. What do you see them doing? They're continually challenging Jesus, and then they bring a woman caught in adultery and throw her in the front of Jesus and say, what do you do? 
looking for Jesus to put his stamp of approval on stoning her and condemning her. That's what their hearts had become. You see, Jesus broke a lot of cultural rules to reach people as well. These religious cultural rules. One of ours, for example, that I addressed, I didn't realize the backlash was dressing up to church. Okay? And Jesus broke a lot of those things. He went and he, he talked to a Samaritan, and not just a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. Strike one, strike two. And then he went ahead and went into their town and spent a couple of days with the Samaritans telling them about the kingdom of God. Completely broke off rules. Pharisees and all these other guys, they go around town to avoid it. We are not going there. Jesus broke that kind of rule. And in Jesus' first miracle, I didn't realize this until last night. Jesus' first miracle was what? To go back to my other minor point, he turned water into wine, okay? We can discuss that further another time. But do you realize what he used to make the wine in? Anybody know? Where's all you scholars out there? No. Six ceremonial water pots. The ceremonial water pots were things that were filled with water that the Pharisees had a religious tradition that they would come in and they would wash their hands, you know, do the hokey pokey, whatever it looked like, and then they would go eat. And, and they actually got mad at Jesus and the disciples because they didn't do it. Jesus uses six stone ceremonial water pots and turns that into wine to help these people at a wedding. He broke all kinds of these petty, stupid rules that were not scriptural to help others in need. He broke all kinds of religious tradition. And he healed on the Sabbath several times. One time in particular, Jesus was about to heal a man with a paralyzed hand. But he began by actually forgiving him of his, of his sins. And rather than the Pharisees being excited about that, they were automatically, you know, who are you? Jesus said, knowing the anger the, the crap in their hearts said, you know what, which is easier, for to forgive sins or to heal? Just to know that I, so you know I have the authority to do so, be healed, and the guy stretched out his arm. So Jesus was always fighting with these people to get the truth of the message of the kingdom out there. So if Jesus was kicking open the door for those to find the kingdom, what are we doing? What are we doing as a church? And really the question I have this morning is what are you doing on an individual basis to kick open the door of the kingdom of God for those that have been shut out? Are you kicking open any doors? And it seems to me that Pharisees today are still very visible and they're still very vocal. I kind of forgotten that. You know, it's why people, uh, seems to me like such a, a small point, people ask when they come to our church, is it okay, what do, I, what do I wear? Why is that even a question? It still is a question. People are afraid. How do you kick open that door? How do people, I mean, that one thing that means literally nothing is keeping people from going to church today and experience the grace and love of Jesus because they will not walk into a church out of fear that what they wear is not good enough. That's shameful. And why are they more visible and vocal than we are? 
Why is that still an issue? Because they're still more vocal and they're still more vis visible than we are. A lot of damage has been done. And so these people feel shut out. And so what is our responsibility, though, to those who have been shut out? Considering all the stuff with the Pharisees and what Jesus did and what he said, look at what Jesus says in John 20, 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And he's talking to the disciples here, and he says, as the Father has sent me, say it. I am sending you. This is our responsibility. As Jesus was sent, he says, all right, tag, you're it. Now it's up to you. What are you doing to kick open the door? We've been given great authority by God to do this kind of work. In Matthew 28, you've heard this a million times, but hear it again for the first time. When the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, he's about to ascend into heaven here, and he says this, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. But then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because of that, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them means to, to immerse them in my teachings and how I, what I believe, what I teach how I live, what I have to say, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We have his authority, and we're supposed to go and teach the same things that we have been taught. But the problem is, is that there are two kinds of disciples, aren't they? We look at the, the last part about go and do this and do that. We forget the little, little thing that kind of preambles this. There's two kinds of disciples. There are worshipers, there are doubters. There are worshipers, and there are doubters. Worshipers are believers, and they trust, and they run with the authority that they have been given by God. They ate up everything Jesus had to say, and they ran out, and they did what God told them to do. But in the same crowd, there were those that doubted. Eh. Authority, huh? They've doubted, you know, really, that's you, risen from the dead? Kind of talked about that recently. They're worshipers and they're doubters. Doubters are the kind that don't take any action. They don't do anything about it. Sure, they showed up. Hey, Jesus. Okay, what was I eating again? They show up, but they don't take any action. They dismiss the power and the authority given by God because of their lack of faith. They're like people in the story that Jesus told about those that went and buried their talent in the ground and did nothing with it. They're just there. They took it. They buried it. They did nothing with it. They're like Christians that attend church, but just really not that interested in getting involved. Eh, okay. So sure, they're on the team. You know, they got their, their letterman's jacket to prove it, so to speak, if you will. But they're not really interested in moving the ball. Jesus says, I need people who are on the team. I need people who are going to come together. I need people who are going to kick open 
the door. They're going to run through that paper that's been placed on the field for you and go do something. Because there are all kinds of people out there that are suffering, that do not share the love and the joy that you have. And unfortunately, it's just simply because of our silence. Our silence. We don't say anything. We don't do anything. Even in the smallest of ways. You know, Romans 10, 14 through 15. This is one of your favorite verses, Brad. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard about? You know, the people in our, around here have, have heard about Jesus. They've heard of those things, but they really haven't heard about who Jesus really is. They've got a really bad misunderstanding of what Jesus is about, what church is about, what it means to live for him is about. They have no idea. Think just because we're in the Bible Belt of the South that people, when they know about Jesus, know about who he really is, what he can really do in their lives. They don't. They don't understand. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Don't let that preaching word get you all bound up without someone telling them. Preaching is, is telling the truth. It's shouting it out loud. How will they know unless someone tells them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? Consider this your game plan. Go. <laughs> As it is written, beautiful, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Stop for a moment and think about how you heard about Jesus. You probably have a fondness for that person that told you. Maybe it's someone in your own family. That's pretty common. But it's an incredible moment in your life to think back and to think about when you heard about Jesus, when you understood what it, what it means to follow him and to serve him and to love him, what, what that kind of relationship is like, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So we've got an incredible opportunity to do something special here as Real Life Church. One of the things that we, we have here is we have a, we have a safe community, a grace-filled community that understands what Jesus is truly all about. To be together in this kind of family is huge. To find a church that is welcoming and loving is huge. This is an amazing home base of encouragement for all of us to gather together and to come together. But you know what? As at the same time, it's like a huddle. We've got to, have to yell break, and when we go out the doors, we've got to do something. We've got to run the plays. But God has given us all talents, different abilities that he expects us to use. And the question that I have for you simply is, what talent, what ability that God's given you are you using to kick open the kingdom of, of heaven, the door that people can finally get in and see? For me, this, this past couple weeks has been this podcast. You know, it's like, you know what? I want to reach people here locally, but what's, why in the world should I not use these skills and abilities that I use all the time to reach as far as I can? Whether they ever come or show up here or not. See, we're not about building numbers, okay? This is about expanding the kingdom of God. 
And though we might be a small church right now, and maybe, who knows what God will do, the point is, what are we doing with our voice? What are you doing with your skills and your talents? God has called all of us. He gave us the play. Go. Use your voice. We need everybody to run with the ball. We need everyone's faithfulness. Is there really, is there really, think about this this week, beyond the preacher, is there really anything more important than that? In your life, is there really anything more important than the kingdom of God? We all know the right answer, you know. Yes, Pastor, there's nothing more important than the kingdom of God. I know I should be here every Sunday. I'm sorry that I'm not here every Sunday. And and you start to apologize. Seriously, though, what is more important than that? Is there anything that lasts more than that? You might need to have a hard conversation with yourself. You're probably thinking, well, you know what? It's easy for you to say that you're a preacher. That's true. But you know what? Before I was a preacher, and in between times where I was not paid to be the professional pastor, I still did it. I still had a desire and a calling to serve God. I didn't do it for the money. I was always looking for a way to volunteer, to do something. There is nothing more important than that. You know, this other stuff that we do is just our day job. You know, it's just, it pays the bills. But what matters is the kingdom. Pray this week is all I'm asking you. Is to pray this week and say, God, what do I do about it? We need to use the big old foot that we've been given and kick open the stinking door. There'll be small things and big things that he calls you to do. Be something as small as just simply make it your mission to invite people to a safe place. You know what? I know you don't feel welcome. This is a safe place. Share a podcast. Share a sermon. Not just mine, anyone's. Spread the gospel. Kick open the door. We all have different abilities. We all have a different group of people, kind of like the video we started out with, that will respect what you have to say. They're not going to respect what I have to say. They don't know me. They don't care. And I've got the label pastor, which is not always a help. It's usually a hindrance. What do you do? Uh, Let's just talk. You know, use that love that you have, the influence you have for the people that are closest to you to do something. That was Jesus' whole strategy. He focused on just a few people. They focused on just a few people. And it just spread. It truly went viral in the very best way that we can ever imagine. You're here, aren't you? What God has done. You stand with me? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your grace. I can't imagine trying to follow thousands and thousands of rules. I I can't keep up with the few that I know for certain that you've said. Lord, help us to honor you by doing what you told us to do. You said, as you were sent, you're sending us. 
I don't believe there's anything more important than that. Simply because you said it. And you were not just a man. You were not just a teacher. You were not just a prophet. You are God. Lord, this life, this joy that we've been given, Lord, help us to be effective at sharing that with others. With whatever ability and gifts you've given us. Help us to be faithful to the calling that you've placed upon us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Break.